Excited for another round here with Talent Talks. We got Joni Huffman with us today. She's Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing, Healthy Food Ingredients, 16 plus years of a sales leadership experience. And so we're, we're looking forward to hearing her insight. So Joni, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our discussion. Awesome. awesome. Well, let, let's dive into it. And so for us right now, one of our big priorities in Talent Talks is focusing on the calibration process, kind of the pre-recruitment for a position. And we want to know from leaders and in, in, like yourself and others, what, what are the factors? What are the things that you get calibrated on when you're baselining what you're looking for in a role and kind of what the interview process is going to look like? So take it away. What, what are your answers to that? So I've, I've done everything from small company to $4 billion company. Um, and I think calibration ahead of time is one of the most important things really. Um, Team interviews tend to be much more the norm now. Uh, back in the old days, it felt like it was always one-on-one. -on -one, and more and more, it feels like a good aligned team that's conducting the interviews really gets more out of a candidate because it gives, that candidate has to really be thinking on their feet. And by calibrating and understanding, first of all, What's most important in the role? How do you take different approach and behavioral questions in terms of elucid, elucidating from that, from that candidate what it is that makes them tick, how they react to different situations? And that team um, calibration and approach tends to get more out of a candidate. I think you learn more in a shorter period of time than you do one-on-one -on -one because it's always very interesting as well. Everybody is an individual on the hiring team, on the interviewing team. They have different perspectives. They hear things differently. Sometimes you may hear something as an individual interviewer that strikes you as, as off or you didn't like the way they answered that question. When you have that opportunity to calibrate post-interview, then you get differing perspectives. No, I, someone else may say, well, I interpreted that answer as meaning X. And that may give you a different perspective on what that person was thinking because the interview is a high stakes process. Usually if, if, you, if you don't get past the, the first round or if somebody doesn't like you, has a strong disliking to you in that first round, you're not making, you don't get another chance. So, you know, the old saying, you don't get a second chance to make that first impression. I think a calibrated team actually does a better job of not eliminating a candidate because they're excessively nervous or your individual reaction to that person um, was negative. So I really prefer that as an approach because I think it gives you a broader perspective on who that candidate really is. No, I really like that. I, the old adage, the avoid gladiator hiring, kind of thumbs up, thumbs precisely, down. Precisely, right? precisely. You know, individually, it's very easy to make a first impression in the first 10 seconds, and then you kind of spend the rest of your interview talking yourself in or out of that first impression. Yeah. Um, 
and now you get to weigh each other's opinions, um, which is huge. One of the, I love the advantages of a team interview. One of the, the pitfalls I've heard of is, hey, we have this group of five that are gonna interview for this role, but they weren't all on the same page of what they really wanted in the position prior to the interview stage. So everyone had this opinion of the role being slightly different. Yep. You've gone through some calibration or anything to make sure that interview group is aligned on the key factors. Right. Too many cooks in the kitchen. So you, you certainly run that risk. And I think ultimately you need to understand there's a tiebreaker and that's part of the calibration process is if, if you've got three or five on the interview team, who's the tiebreaker? Because I've been in that situation before where people literally were, were split and, you know, how do you make a good decision if three people say yes and two people say no, or one says yes and two say no. Um, and ultimately, that is a good part of the calibration is that in most organizations, you know, it's just like mom, you know, two kids are arguing and ultimately mom or dad makes that decision. So yeah. the, the calibration process has to go beyond just here's the qualities we're looking for, here's the type of personality we want, here's the skill set, here's the background. You also have to talk about some of those softer things, like if we disagree violently over this candidate, is that good or bad? If we yeah. disagree as a team about this candidate, what are we going to do? Are we going to re-interview the candidate? Is it majority vote? Those are some of the softer things that I think very often, because you know, you think about daily corporate life, you're running from meeting to meeting. You probably took, you know, you took some time to read the, the resumes and, and understand what you can about the candidate. But I've been in environments where literally we were interviewing um, 30 candidates over three days for positions. That's a lot of detail to keep track of. Yeah. So you're, and when you come back together at the end of the day to calibrate, because presumably you're going to interview more than one candidate, you're going to lose track of, okay, what did this person say? Wait, which one was that? Um, oh my gosh, I, I completely forgot about that. So they're driving the discipline on the front end of the calibration requires um, a real determination to make sure that people are aligned and you've talked about a lot of different what ifs and you have a clearly agreed upon process because if you don't first of all it's not fair to the candidate if if you are as an interview team are having disagreements about what you thought about the candidate you may you may miss the person that you really wanted that was a great fit and yeah. you don't want it to devolve into personality disagreements among the interviewers yeah. and, and lose sight of the goals. So I think setting some of those, those parameters up front on what's your process if there's disagreement, you know, how do you, especially when you're getting down to finalists, yeah. you know, what are the things that you all mutually agree on are the most important facets of that candidate's capabilities and skill set. Yeah. And that really requires, you know, it requires people who are focused, fresh, and able to actually think through the process. 
because often hiring is just painful. You, you hate talking to, to people who aren't fits for the role. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you maximize the efficiency of the process and ultimately that you, you get the best person for you, for the organization, and for the role because it costs a lot of money to take people's time, fly in candidates for interviews, and then not do the best job you can with the process. Absolutely. And you hire the wrong person and then the training and onboarding and the re rehiring. Right. How painful is that then to make a mistake? <laughs> a, and and I've been there. I emotionally I've, exhausted. Yeah, you've, you've had somebody quit a job to yeah. join you and yeah. they don't work out. It's a disservice to the candidate as well as your organization. 100%. One of the things our, our group gets to work with organizations across the country is we try to um, get all the stakeholders before we even start engaging candidates aligned on what we call the head, the heart, and the briefcase. So the head is behavioral and cognitive for the role, uh, mm -hmm. the heart is values and motivators for the role, and then briefcase is skills and experiences. And so get everyone to actually sign off and agree that we see this role through the same lens um, because it's tricky, it's so tricky. And then um, we actually scorecard the candidates in those same three buckets because if you're interviewing 10, 30 people, and you do get lost, we actually ask that you scorecard it right after the interview based on the head, the heart, and the briefcase. So then you can actually objectively go back and say, well, here are my top three people based on how I scored them. And now I can, now I can move to second round interviews right. with, with a objective template for decision because it's so hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's so hard to do. So great insight, Joni. I, I, love, I love what you're talking about. Let's, let's focus the second question on, all right, sales interviewing is, is tough, right? Salespeople are typically pretty good salespeople, right? And so um, there are some pitfalls or some things or some mistakes that everyone does in sales hiring. You, you've been doing this a while. What, what are the things that you try to avoid or you try to reflect on that you've done in the past that you don't want to repeat? Uh, what are some tips and tricks for the audience? I've, I've been sold um, by some good salespeople and got so carried away with, my gosh, they're so smooth in their delivery. They're so personable. They really speak your language. And one of the things that I've learned to do is to step back and think about how much time they spend talking versus how much time they have spent preparing, researching, asking questions and listening. Because I think ultimately the best interviews I've had, the candidates that have been the most successful are the ones where they do not spend all of the time talking and I don't spend all of the time talking. It is, it feels like a conversation at an exchange as opposed to, let me tell you how successful I've been at X, Y, and Z. And, as an interviewee, it's, or it's, it's a tough balance to strike because obviously you've got a limited amount of time to talk about who you are, what makes you tick, and what you've been successful at. But if it feels like, as an interviewer, I'm being talked at instead of talked with, that tells me something very important because 
I work in, in roles where there's a lot of diagnostic selling. There's a lot of asking questions and looking at how we solve problems. If that candidate doesn't demonstrate that soft skill of making the person on the other side of, of the table feel like it's a dialogue, they're probably not the ideal salesperson for what I'm looking for. They may be great in a different role, but that is, has become one of my benchmarks at how I identify a candidate who I know will walk into a room and engage the customer in something that feels to the customer like a dialogue rather than a thesis of all the great things I have to offer. You know, unpacking what you're saying, I think it hits two really important spots. One, not every sales position is the same. Right, so you, you some need no, some need very strong consultative selling. Some might be a high volume commodity sale. Some yep. might be more of a uh, account growth type of sales approach. So you, yeah, you need to know the intricacies of what makes a salesperson successful in your role, um, but also the ability to like you got to be able to sell yourself in an interview, but you have to be able to sell yourself through the conversation, not through a presentation, yes, you know? Yes. Um, and so I think that is, that is, you know, interviewer, interviewee, that's a good tip for them. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you're, you gotta, you gotta be able to hold that conversation and feel good about how they're going about it. I do right. find what, do you dive in a lot with like previous successes, you know, salespeople going, all right, you know, your numbers, numbers matter in sales. How, how much do you focus on that? Less than you would think. I focus a lot more on what their failures were. And okay. I find that people who are curious and passionate um, tend to take a little more risk and they fail. And yeah. it then becomes a great question of what did, how did you fail? Why did you fail? And what do you do differently now because of that? Yeah. And I, I've been asked that question myself and it's always, you know, it's always painful to talk about your failures. Uh, but it's also really good to emphasize the fact that first of all, your failure didn't kill you. You kept going, you learned something from it and here's what you do differently. And then it's great to follow up with, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be able to lead into, okay, I was able to deploy that, that learning yeah. and be successful at something in yeah. the future. So I, I tend to think that, you know, honestly, you're going to put your best foot forward on your successes in terms of numbers and accomplishments on your resume. So no one ever talks about their failures on their resume. Yeah, for like good that. reason, yeah. but that's a great time to talk about, okay, do they have the grit and the fortitude to pick themselves up, to diagnose what went wrong and to do something different and to learn from it. So I really like to focus more, you know, it's fun to talk about wins and we all like to have them, but I want to know somebody uh, also has that capacity to keep learning and growing. And typically a failure conversation is the best way to, to get to the heart of that. I, I really like that. And it, it shows right, like emotional awareness, growth mindset, like, Hey, I, I was here. I mean, some of the best salespeople I've ever spoken to said, you know, this was a limiting factor for me in my early twenties. 
and I learned how to do this and I learned how to do that. And it's actually one of my strengths later in my career. Um, you know, and I think that's really important. I think it goes back to also a little bit like, Hey, you, you look at a resume, but a resume is never what walks in the first day a person does. Yes. And so how do you uh, understand that person on board and coach that person is really important. And you need someone that's willing to go down that journey with you as a sales leader, um, as long as their motivations towards success are, are right there with you. You know, I think that's gotta be key too, right? They gotta want it. Um, Absolutely. In this fluid environment, I mean, look at what's happening right now. My salespeople can't travel. They can't go see customers. So how are they going to demonstrate some out-of-the-box thinking to stay relevant, to continue approaching their goals and accomplishing their goals? So that ability to pivot, to learn, to grow is even more essential now than ever. Oh, that's, that's great, Joni. Well, hey, we, uh, we really appreciate your insights. And it was a pleasure getting a chance to talk with you. And, and um, thanks again. Hey, Have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Thanks so much. You too. Thank you.